So, Lark, you wrote a book about effortless mindfulness. And what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, thank you, Serge. It's great to be with you and, and all those who are listening today. Um, I uh, studied uh, mindfulness in the Vipassana or insight meditation tradition and uh, actually went to Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal on a fellowship, uh, did five-day retreats, 10-day and 21-day retreats. And then I uh, really enjoyed uh, Vipassana insight meditation, what is called mindfulness. And then I went up north uh, to India and Nepal and met a Tibetan Buddhist teacher there whose name was Toko Ergen Rinpoche. And he gave a little talk for like 15 minutes and then did uh, a way of shifting awareness that he called pointing out and that I call glimpsing. And within three minutes, I felt the same way as I did at the end of a 10-day retreat. So effortless mindfulness is what he called it um, and it's what it's called in the Mahamudra tradition. And it doesn't mean that it takes no effort initially. It takes a little one, two, three, let go. But what effortless refers to is that you discover when you shift your awareness that there's an effortless awareness that's already aware without your help that you can be aware from. And it's like a flow state or being in the zone. So it's open-eyed. And um, the way most people feel when they walk in nature or do something they love, like gardening or playing sports. So it's a, it's a natural dimension of consciousness, and it's um, considered the advanced practice. Uh, deliberate mindfulness is first, and then this is effortless. But effortless mindfulness can be taught initially, especially for those who have difficulty with concentration. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot in what you said. And, yes. uh, you know, what I'm hearing is something that says, you know, um, I've done effortful mindfulness. Yes. I've also done effortless mindfulness. Yeah. And you can get to the same place with effortless. Yes. That's right. Um, I'm hearing also something about uh, a description mm. of what that effortless mindfulness is, mm -hmm. and that you liken to that state of flow, mm. and the state of nature, which is something that we come equipped with, mm -hmm. and we're in sync. Yes, that's right. Everything feels right. Yes, that's it. <clears throat> yeah, so that's the, uh, you know, the sense is that the premise of this kind of direct path uh, introduction to effortless mindfulness is that the awakeness that we're seeking is already inherent within us as our natural capacity. And so we can just learn to access that. And then we're naturally uh, living and seeing from this effortless flow. Yeah, yeah. So, so that capacity to be awakened, that capacity mm. for awakened awareness mm -hmm. is within us. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit more about awareness? 
Yes. So <clears throat> this is interesting um, in that awareness is, is not attention. Attention is a type of awareness uh, that uses the small mind to focus. So <clears throat> I've done, you know, not only studies of uh, wisdom traditions, but neuroscience and psychotherapy. So um, the one-pointed attention that most people start with in deliberate mindfulness is focusing on the breath or one object. And what it does is it focuses from the small mind and calms uh, that small mind so that you get into a shamatha or peaceful abiding or calm state, but it actually shuts down um, the more open, creative, internal world in, in order to get to that calm state. So in effortless mindfulness, uh, the neuroscience shows that you actually balance this internal and external uh, system of perception. And so you're simultaneously aware from a kind of larger awareness. Um, but interestingly, it's not just uh, a detached witness position. It's actually this open awareness that's both uh, allows you to feel completely within your body and interconnected with everyone and open in a witnessing capacity. So it's called unity consciousness or being in the zone or flow or um, kind of interconnected heart, heart mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so all of these various names, including that open heart, you know, that mm -hmm. you you like. Um, and so, essentially, we distinguish three kinds of awareness. Something mm -hmm. that is that focused attention. Yep. Something that's kind of a more open mirroring. Mm -hmm. And that's usually the two things that people would normally think of. Yes. But uh, the, there is also a state where we can balance both. And that's kind of that state of grace that, yes. uh, that you're yeah. describing. That non -dual. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. So it's called, called non-dual. And the interesting thing is that the, you know, some of the Advaita definition of non-dual is... Um, that you're is that we're operating from a dualistic small mind and that we become aware of pure awareness and pure awareness is non-dual awareness but the buddhist view is that <clears throat> you recognize this pure awareness or this open spacious um boundless awareness and then from there you realize that's inherent within and that aliveness is arising from that and so non-dual means ultimate reality of pure awareness and relative reality of everyday life are not two so they call it the two truths so non-dual means um, that you're not focusing from one point as you say that's one kind of awareness called attention the others is kind of a witness um, as if you pull the camera back then you can notice uh, from a mindful awareness your thoughts, feelings, and sensations coming and going. And then the magic move of effortless is you actually <clears throat> let awareness look behind the camera or through the meditator. So it opens until 
that awareness finds there's already a natural awareness that's aware without uh, effort and has always been kind of a primordial consciousness that's in children before they develop conceptual thought and becomes the basis of wisdom mind um, because it's able to use thought but not have to keep orienting to thought to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, when you do it, then mm-hmm. the experience of it is as if you're looking from behind the camera or from behind or through the meditator. Um, but when we say this to people who have not had that experience, right. <laughs> It might feel something that's very, you know, a lot of foreboding. And yes. so uh, one of the, the things that you do in your teaching is you actually bring it down to earth in very mm. simple experiences. And I like very much that concept of the glimpses. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about that as a way to, uh, to get that experience. Yes. And, and, and just to say that when you open awareness behind the camera and then discover this awareness... Uh, that's already here, it's already embodied and natural and drops you into a place that most people uh, do what they love to do in their free time in order to experience. So in other words, when I have a group and I say, what do you love to do when in order to feel um, most alive and renew and refresh? And people say, well, I walk in nature or I a garden, or I dance, or I um, <clears throat> do play music. And when you do these things, you literally uh, drop out of your small, concentrated mind. You open into this uh, flow state or flow consciousness and are able to do something um, highly technical without creating an ego doer and without um, having this sense of efforting, but you just naturally uh, go at your own pace. And, uh, and so that's, that's the feeling of it. And so the, those are things that people are doing, uh, and they're doing one particular doorway or activity as a way to access some dimension of this effortless mindfulness. And so the glimpses just teach a way to intentionally shift awareness or relax the small sense of self and go immediately into um, the new operating system um, so that you can do it on the subway in New York City. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is when somebody asked about effortless mindfulness, Mm-hmm. The answer is you already know it. Yes. You just haven't named it. That's but it. This is how you are. Yeah. And you do something you really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And so you're into it and you're not getting in the way of it and you're not efforting and it just feels great. And that uh, the idea and the practices are about to bring you there more often than That's it. everything is aligned in order to do that. Yes. <clears throat> And so, yeah, and just to say um, that 
the we don't even realize the other operating system that um, we have developmentally thought was the only way to be, which is what they call in Buddhism a small separate sense of self. So the small separate sense of self, which is at the root of what causes suffering, is when we identify with that, when we operate from there, there's always going to be some perpetual dissatisfaction, which is the translation of the word dukkha or suffering is often translated as perpetual dissatisfaction. So that small thought-based little uh, habit, uh, pattern of thought and emotion uh, that literally feels like it's behind our eyes, in the middle of our head, looking out of our peephole and listening to what uh, you and I are talking about now. If you feel, where am I aware from? Most people will locate it um, in the middle of their head or some people just their head or others. Sometimes it can include like the emotional body a little more for some. Uh, But that uh, pattern of functioning is really kind of an ego function that's become an ego identity. And my sense is it's actually just a developmental stage and an awakening is the next natural stage of human development. Yeah, yeah. It's so very interesting that um, most people, when they talk about self, mm. uh, it's something that is um, almost uh, like an object, or it's something that's very mm-hmm. rigid, or something that is, uh, you know, uh, solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're talking about it as an operating system or a pattern of functioning. Yes. And so we're really into phenomenology. We're into mm-hmm. uh, what is happening as opposed to things that are objects. Yes. And, and in some ways, that's the, the real initial insight of deliberate mindfulness or insight meditation is realizing that what feels like I am thinking this thought can be observed as thoughts, feelings, sensations, and mind objects. In other words, you can go into a mindful witness, and when the thought, I think I'm thinking this thought, comes and goes, you realize, oh, just because the sentence starts with, I'm thinking this thought, that's not me, that's a thought. So you start to realize that um, there's an arising and passing of uh, phenomena, and as Buddhism uh, in the deliberate mindfulness Theravada tradition starts with, and there's anatta or no self. So that's the first pointer to relief of suffering. And uh, neuroscience seems to agree when they look with an fMRI. Uh, the best description I've heard is. Uh, the brain is a symphony, but no conductor can be found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brain is a symphony, but no conductor can be found. And so, so you, you mentioned what happens in the mm-hmm. deliberate mindfulness traditions. Yes. In what way is the experience in effortless mindfulness somewhat different? Yeah. So <clears throat> it kind of continues. Um, in some ways, um, uh, Siddhartha Buddha was in a time of, uh, he was doing Hindu practices and very deliberate 
um, strenuous uh, renunciation practices. And then when he finally realized, oh, this isn't getting me anywhere, he remembered a time when he was a child sitting under a tree after lunch on a summer's day when he just let go and was just being. And there was a sense of peace and well-being and freedom and connection to nature that was natural. So there's the first kind of pointer, even within that tradition. But then he decided because of the times that were saying, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. He said, you know what? I'm not going to say what it is. I'm just going to say, if you just let it go, it will show up. But I think what's happened is um, there's been a, a pointing to the no self, but then what happens on retreats with people is they get flooded by their unconscious because they deconstruct the self and haven't yet discovered the new operating system. And so effortless mindfulness says, all right, we're going to uh, have you shift out of the small sense of self, but then we're really going to spend more time uh, waking up from that than to the awareness that's awake then as that awareness, then from that awareness back to include thoughts, feelings, sensations as uh, interconnected rather than observing. So there's a more of an embodied, interconnected, awake consciousness um, that is naturally um, effortless, but also kind of grounded. Yeah, yeah. So, so kind of a sense of more of a flow. Yes. These different faces of the diamond, uh, mm. as opposed to a sense of just kind of wanting to separate them in a rigid way. Yes. But getting into that flow. Yes. Yeah. So that, that I find, you know, a lot of people who, who have done uh, some of the initial practices um, are in a kind of witness position. Um, so they're a little outside of their body. And they're able to, you know, uh, eat mindfully, lifting, moving, placing. Uh, they can do yoga mindfully. But it's almost from a detached observer, a mindful observer that's not um, embodied or interconnected. And so I call that getting caught in the witness protection program. So that, that can be uh, an important first move and first stage. But then the awareness that is recognized um, that's effortlessly here is also outside and within and interconnected. And it kind of drops us from head to heart. So this sense of open-hearted uh, intelligence, um, we feel more love and more natural compassion that arises as a um, in the you know, in the Tibetan and the later Mahayana, that's not just absence, there are actually natural qualities of joy and love. The Brahma, the Haras, the um, equanimity are natural qualities of being human yeah. that arise without intentionally having to uh, wish they were here or use imagination. Yeah, yeah. So, so you had the you know, very nice uh, formulation of the... Um, 
the uh, witness protection program. That, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that from that place, um, we tend to be a detached observer. Yeah. What I like about the phrase is that the witness protection program exists because the witness is threatened. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is kind of a sense of safety and ease. Yes. And, um, you know, the result we're getting to, as you say, the result of open heart, which yeah. is something which comes with, with more ease and flow. And That's so, right. Uh, I, so I see, so I see that uh, uh, this is really intricately related. Yes, to, uh, absolutely. Experience of finding that trust and ease and flow. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, you. That's so important. The one of the keys to, um, you know, shifting to this awake consciousness as a new operating system to be able to, not just have meditative experiences, but literally to live from here, which I think, is possible and is kind of the new normal that I'm hoping to, a uh, group of us can really begin to share and uh, um, and live from is um, that when you come back from being kind of vast and boundless and open and discovering this pure awareness and then feel both embodied and interconnected, there's a feeling of safety and trust and well-being, open-hearted, but particularly that safety that doesn't have to go back to the scanning mind uh, to be hypervigilant about, you know, am I okay? Is my body okay? Is my emotions, am I going to be hurt? There's um, this deeper, more panoramic, open view um, that can respond like a Tai Chi master if something were to happen, but the baseline isn't neurotic, anxious, uh, hypervigilance as a way of safety. It's deep, open, uh, trust um, as the new uh, safety feeling, and then only then really can you live from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I like that image that you suggest of that moving like a Tai Chi master through mm -hmm. life. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's the feeling, you know, that feeling that they would be able to obviously defend themselves physically, and you'd be able to respond rather than react emotionally. If somebody, you know, started saying, hey, you, blah, 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 blah. And you, if you were hypervigilant and reactive, you'd go into a small, uh, you know, defensive part of yourself that would say, it's not me. It's not, yeah, I didn't do it. You know, <laughs> but here you're just like, oh, wow, this other person's really upset. What are they talking about? And you feel like you can be here and, you know, wait until you really speak from, uh, from a more deep heart space yeah yeah and so so that's also a very nice way to point out that what we're talking about is absolutely not just a mental quality but it's a whole being right. quality because it includes that that not just you know calmness per se but calmness as a way to feel like you're swimming in the environment you're swimming in life in a place of harmony that's right yeah and even one of the recent uh uh, there's a few neuroscience experiments of this effortless mindfulness uh, that's different than the deliberate. And in many of the deliberates, they discover that there's uh, this calmness when they use EEG, um, that you move from beta, which is kind of uh, kind of a 
everyday chattering mind uh, kind of uh, uh, fast-moving uh, energy to a calmer alpha. And then when you do effortless mindfulness, it actually brings on what's called synchronized gamma, which is actually aha moments and creativity and joy and laughter. So it's not just calm, but it's actually dynamically more active uh, while being calm. So this is, this is kind of uh, the possibility. It's really about um, living a full human life with full emotions rather than, um, you know, trying to transcend emotions or go beyond them or uh, spiritually bypass um, our humanity. Yeah, yeah. So it's expanding the range uh, of our ability to to interact in life. That's right. Yeah, and and we use this, uh, you know, in psychotherapy. I train people in kind of an effortless mindfulness based therapy that you access this open hearted awareness or this bigger sense of who who I am, and then from there you can be with traumatized parts of yourself or uh shame-based parts or these protectors that are trying to keep control of everything and be very tight and from that more compassionate view um, you can unburden these parts and let them know that they thank them for all the work they've been doing and let them know you can you can help out as part of the team but you don't need to be driving the car anymore we've got a new uh a new you know self-driving vehicle with yeah. the capital S. Yeah, so, so in a way we come back to that quote you shared earlier about, um, you know, that sense of self and um, uh, that sense of the symphony without a conductor. Yes. Where you are working in tandem with Richard Schwartz about yes. IFS and the concept of self-leadership, which is not yeah. the same thing as a director. That's right. Yeah, and that's the new thing. So that kind of is where this all goes is as we were talking in the beginning is it, you know, it's a little unusual, you know, because, you know, we're talking to highly educated, smart people who are spiritually, you know, who have done, you know, some practices and done some psychotherapy that this model um, that the felt sense of safety and well-being is a more, uh, spacious, open mind, open heart, literally feels um, not tightly in your body or smartly in your mind. It literally feels more diffuse and yet more embodied because you're aware of your body from within and more dropped into your heart, uh, heart-mind, not your emotional heart, and uh, feels more interconnected with everyone uh, so that's not the feeling that most people have as the marker of being, um, you know, okay with being myself. You know, the, the, so that, <clears throat> that has a little, so getting people comfortable with that new normal, um, that this is actually how it feels. It does feel more open. It does feel more interconnected, but I'm not uh, blended with everyone. I'm not merged. I'm not taking on their energy just because I'm connected, um, I'm actually um, just not reacting to the, um, to the emotions uh, 
in a way that <clears throat> that lets them stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so more diffuse, more interconnected, yeah. but paradoxically embodied. Yes. So and it's not merged. It's not disappearing. It's not a spiritual bypass because there is a quality of embodiment. Yes. And um, not reactive. That's right. And not reactive because there's more of that heart-mind uh, quality, which, again, takes a little while. So the glimpses, um, you know, within an hour and a half of doing a live presentation or certainly within a day, a day long, you know, eight out of 10 people will get a glimpse of their true nature or their awake consciousness or their heart-mind uh, in a way that they intentionally do it through, you know, doing a series of different doorways, these different types of glimpses that some work for some people, some don't. But then when you glimpse, then the main practice is small glimpses many times during the day rather than long periods of uh, sitting with your eyes closed. These can be done while you're taking a walk or while you're sitting on a subway or, or train or bus, um, while you're uh, taking a break at work, and then you go right back to work from it. Um, and it takes a while uh, because the habit is so strong of the first operating system of the small separate sense of self in the middle of my head, looking out of my eyes that is thought-based and actually believes, I think, therefore I am. <laughs> so that needs to, um, you need to feel what the alternative is for small moments and then learn to return and then train to remain. Yeah, so get that experience. And then from there, just like riding a bicycle, yeah. It's easier to come back to. That's right. Yeah, and that's a beautiful metaphor. That, that bicycle, because one of the, so some of the gaps, like in my, my new book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, the last chapter is called uh, uh, Traps, Detours, and Rerouting Instructions. <laughs> so <clears throat> that people can get caught when you uh, unhook awareness or detach awareness or have awareness shift out into um, kind of an openness, you can get caught in this kind of gap of don't know mind or know nothing or absence. So then it's important to keep going until you realize, oh, it's not just space, but the space is awake and I'm awake from space. And so that those pointers and those literal movements where awareness starts to recognize itself in its full capacity um, is something that you're, the, the small me is not doing, <laughs> that literally the glimpse when I say, can you unhook awareness and have it drop from head down through your body and know your body from within and then know your heart space and know from your heart space that who I'm talking to is you as the awakened consciousness that's inherently within you. And I'm asking you <laughs> to move yourself as awareness uh, and relocate from identification with thought to, uh, to drop or to open to return home to this subtler dimension 
of already awake, effortless mindfulness that's embodied and uh, can then, you can then learn to talk and walk. And that feeling of not knowing that knows is, is feels like riding a bicycle. So if I, if people do these glimpses and then I say, uh, where are you aware from? You can't go to thought to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're saying like, well, but I'm here. But as soon as you ask me a question, like, where are you aware from? I go back and create a thinker and then I'm out. And I say, yeah, that's right. So see if you can almost like when you're riding a bicycle and I say to you, are you balancing? You could go to thought and think about it, but do you have to, or can you, can you just feel it? Yeah. 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 So, so maybe I want to take that part of what you just said is there is a sense of um, space is awake. Yes. Awake from space. Yes. So maybe to suggest to listeners to, to simply sense into that notion that space is awake. Yes. Not to try to figure it out, but yes. simply to, to look, feel, listen, sense into space. Yes. With sense that space is awake. Yes. And just explore that, what it's like to be in that kind of mode. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and those are the first, a very good summary of the glimpses that I start with. Just, just allow awareness to open from being attached to thought and just simply let it open out, drop down, and rest back until it perhaps notices what it's like to not orient to thought, to be aware from wordless awareness, and then just feel that the space that you're aware of, now you're aware from. So just that little feeling, the new feeling, and then the key is just to not check with thought for a second opinion to know whether you're aware from space. It's just a new feeling like balancing. And then to see whether being awake from space, that the space is both outside and within. So there's kind of a seamless, continuous field and that the dancing uh, movement that you don't have to particularize or pinpoint or know what that is, but just welcome it as movement and change and without getting on the train of thought, uh, just let it all be experienced, but primarily trust the awake awareness to be where you're aware from and what could decide what to think about or what to do. Thanks, Locke. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.